it's wonderful how how the American people display their sportsmanship. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Whenever you are listening to this episode of the Often Daunted Podcast, I am your host, Burke White. And as I do following each of Indiana's games this season, I come to you with a recap of that game before hitting you with some Indiana news, Indiana-related news that has come out since the time of our last recording. I then get into some of the national news, some of the Big Ten results out there, all before previewing the upcoming matchup with this game uh, coming up being the bout in Michigan. And I just, I cannot appreciate it enough for you guys giving me the time of your day to give this episode a listen. If you haven't followed me on all the socials out there at Often Daunted, uh, yeah, just across all of them, pretty much all the same name everywhere at Often Daunted. If you do like the show, please feel free to leave a review, subscribe to the show. If you like the show, go ahead, leave that review. If you don't like the show, don't do anything at all. This is uh, just a fun hobby that I've undertook, and uh, I, I again, I can't appreciate you giving me the time enough. So without further ado, let's get into that game where the Indiana Hoosiers came out of the gate on fire. They, they came out of the gate of this Big Ten season, and they got the tone-setting win over the Maryland Terrapins at home, 65-53. to 53. So as we do here on the Often Daunted Podcast, you know what that means. Let's play the song. In the battle, tried and true, Indiana, 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 we're all for you. Indiana with the victory over the Maryland Terrapins, 65-53. to this, this was a Maryland team that had really begun figuring it out offensively heading into this game with Indiana. I mean, they are coming off of a game in which they had 103 points in it. And the Hoosiers, in response to that, absolutely stepped up to the challenge and shut them down. This Indiana Hoosier team was looking pissed off on the boards Friday night. On, on both ends of the ball. And we desperately needed it. This game was ultimately a terrapin bludgeoning by way of effort. The Hoosiers brought effort in spades Friday night, and I am so genuinely grateful for the fire that was sitting in our guys' bellies as the Hoosiers were able to dictate the rebounding battle, 46-30, to winning the battle on the offensive boards as well, 15-10. to The great effort on the glass by the Hoosiers was able to also notch the win for the Hoosiers in the second chance points, 14-8. to It was a total team effort in regards to rebounding. And the Hoosiers were the stronger, more determined team in this matchup. And the defense absolutely stepped up throughout this game. The Hoosiers defended the three just extremely well as a unit, holding Maryland to two of 16 from long range, while also being able to hit on three of their nine attempts from beyond themselves, with the Indiana front court showing the skill with each front court starter hitting one. Kalel, McKenzie, and Malik were each able to convert from behind the arc. IU converted more for three-point attempts than Maryland through this, and this is the first opponent they've done that to all season. But in true Big Ten basketball fashion, like, (laughs) IU made three, Maryland made two. After taking the 12-point lead into the break, this Indiana team was able to keep the distance on Maryland and never really let let this one get close in a manner that showed they were ready to play a full 40 for that game. The Hoosiers brought it each play, and the result is that 12-point win over Maryland. This included Indiana being able to stretch the game to a 21-point lead five minutes into the second after a solid start coming out after the break, that being the halftime break. With Indiana really bringing the effort in this game, like with, with all that being said, after looking like they were really dictating play throughout the, the entirety of the game, the Hoosiers let up a bit with about seven minutes left in this game, 
and there was just a series of frustrating turnovers and just poor possessions that allowed Maryland to chip away and bring this game and bring it to a far more respectable score gap for themselves. That is before the Hoosiers tightened everything up and began to find their footing again. And the Indiana offense was humming four Hoosiers in double digits as uh, Indiana was moving the ball extremely well and looking to use effort to fuel a game in the transition that we desperately need to be our best selves. Indiana was looking to run, and they were doing just that, largely in part because Trey Galloway was just sparking the offense, getting it going, just being able to distribute the ball in a manner that we haven't seen from him all season. Those four Hoosiers in double digits as far as scoring production goes. We had Kalel with 18, McKenzie with 13, Trey with 12, and Malik with 11. Malik's 11 coming in only 19 minutes on the floor. Just a well-distributed game for the Hoosiers. And as far as Kalel Ware goes, like we are now in December and Kalel is, is bringing more and more energy. This kid is incredible. A seven footer who demands the other team's biggest guy has to head out on the perimeter just to give in. Like it just gives Indiana the room they need inside. And it allots us a spacing that we just haven't seen in seasons prior. Like Kalel Ware is a absolute, he is a deep threat unequivocally. Five for nine from beyond the arc this season is just insane. That is an insane conversion rate for someone that is that tall. He takes smart shots from long range and did so here, converting on his only attempt at that from three-point range. Kalela has been able to thrive in Bloomington. And here's to everything else that we have to look forward to um, in this almost most definitely his last year with us. Kalel Ware was just efficient as ever throughout this, going eight for 12 in total from the floor, ending his night with a now seemingly typical 18 points in the game. But while his production has been there game after game this season, more impressive than that in this one for me was his count in what I believe to be a true motor-driven stat, that being his rebounds. Kalel was able to wrangle in a massive 14 boards as he ended the night with a double-double. And the rest of the Indiana frontcourt was typically dominant. You would like you would have liked to see Malik get some more time and limit the fouls. But McKenzie was able to follow up his 18-point outing last game with another double-digit performance in this one. Going 4-for-9 from the floor, McKenzie was able to score 13, in no small part due to him going a perfect 4-for-4 four four from the charity stripe. He's really starting to figure out how to find his own shot in this offense, and while also finding out how to set others up as well. And in regards to setting others up in this game, he was able to tally three assists to the overall Hoosier effort here. And while points and assists, yes, that that is that does make the difference in a score. While all of that, while all of that was just great, he really brought the same effort he showed last game into his rebounding efforts, as he was able to notch seven rebounds on the day. McKenzie is starting to get into a groove on both ends of the floor. Sure, there are still lapses in judgment at times, especially on the defensive end, but his effort, like the newfound effort that he's starting to bring into these games. It has been able to make up for a ton of those lately. Malik Renew, like I said, let's just get through those front court starters for us today. Malik Renew was limited in this one due to his personal fouls. Only managing to get 19 points in this game, or 19 minutes in this game. He is a very dependable option in the low post, and he is the rollover identity of this team. He's been extremely reliable producing for the Hoosiers, and we need him on the floor as much as possible. That's why, yeah, the 19 minutes was gutting as as far as limiting the potential for production that the Hoosiers could have seen in this game. But even, even though he was in that limited role, in those 19 minutes, he was extremely effective from the floor when he went four for six from the field, utilizing just that impeccable footwork down low, while also being able to hit one of his two three-point attempts taken. Malik Renew is, this is, an, a breakout campaign would almost be an understatement for what he's being able to do here in his second season. We need him to tighten it up defensively. We can't have him falling into uh, traps. Like, I, I feel like he is the, he is on the defensive end, one of the Hoosiers that is most likely to fall into a shooter who is just baiting. 
so hard. He, he's cleaned it up overall, but man, we could have used him more minutes here. While he was limited, I, I really did enjoy Peyton Sparks bringing in an attitude we hadn't seen in the games prior to this game. Him and Julian Reese were just getting chippy as hell with one another, and it, it wasn't. It was just awesome to see Peyton not get disrespected in our house. While he wasn't able to find the bucket in his three shots from the field, Peyton did well to make a difference with his four rebounds over the course of his seven minutes played. Four rebounds in seven minutes, that is a quite respectable collection to add to the Hoosiers' efforts on the boards here. As for the Hoosier backcourt in this game, Trey brought the confidence into this game just impeccably Friday night. The play that stood out for me was about halfway through the first half, shot clock trickling to zero, and Trey just says it's time to do the damn thing. Drives into the defense to no avail, and with time expiring, bounces out to run through the mid-range with it, then taking the mid-range hook floater that had to have been the single most confident shot Trey's gotten up all season. In this game, like Trey, Trey took it upon himself to make sure this team was taking advantage of possessions and really moving the ball well, really being a total ball player out there. Trey was able to tally 12 points on 6 for 10 from the field, but even more so important was the 6 assists and 6 rebounds that he added to that effort. Trey was really looking to run every opportunity he could, and his game was better for it. His play was a large reason. The Hoosiers were able to beat Maryland in the fast break to a score of 11-9 in that category, with Maryland being a type of team that also has to rely on getting out quick, and just glad to see that the nature of his game brought into this one absolutely helped the Hoosiers win that battle, even if only by two points. With Gabe Cup starting due to Xavier's absence in this game, credit to the Hoosiers for being able to confidently and competently break the Maryland press. Gabe was unable to find the bucket going 0-2 in this game, but with the absence of Xavier Johnson and the increase of ball-handling responsibilities that he, he was called to be responsible for, Gabe, Gabe did well to limit his turnovers, allowing two over the course of his 24 minutes played. For a freshman, point guard, taking on a bunch of the ball-handling responsibilities, I will absolutely take that. The, the bench didn't produce too much for us today, but Anthony Walker contributed well for the Hoosiers when, when asked to do so. Although at one point, Anthony Walker did have a turnover that he had then followed it up with a possession he almost lost the ball again on. But in this game, he really began to show off his mid-range touch with more of those midi floaters in this game. Anthony Walker was able to lead the bench production with six points as he, w he had really helped the Hoosiers secure this win. And six points isn't, isn't nothing crazy. It's, it's nothing to overreact about, but you can tell he's allowing the game to come to him a bit more, and it's just coming to him a bit better than it had to start the season. And in turn, he has really begun to take the shots that make sense for his game now. While the Hoosier offense as a just collective was moving the ball possibly better than we've seen it move all season, we still could have used a few less turnovers, as that was an area of the game that Maryland was able to win the stat battle. Indiana was able to force 10 turnovers from Maryland, while Maryland was able to force 16 from Indiana. As a result, the Terps were able to win the points-off turnover battle with a score of 18-13. to 13. In his 19 minutes on the floor, Malik had a total of four turnovers committed, two of which were traveling violations as he was looking to utilize some of his, some of his skill in the post, uh, utilizing just that dancer's fo footwork. While he needed to tighten it up on the defensive end, he also needs to tighten it up there. Four turnovers for uh, who is largely a stabilizing presence on this team right now is just far too many. In this game, I will say, my, my favorite sequence in this one was Malik gathering the ball in the corner of the floor. Um, doing his best Nolan Ryan impression, whipping it across the floor to Gabe Cups. Just on a, it was a very, very hard pass. But Gabe was able to corral it in, took the shot. Unfortunately, Gabe had missed the well set up three. But in that possession, McKenzie just put it upon himself to take care of it and uh, ended up showing up in the paint to challenge for and win that offensive board. Able to put it right back up for two. IU absolutely had to clamp down on, Mich on Maryland's outside shooting, and they did just that. Two for 16, shooting from three. If Indiana can hold opponents to that, with the front court that Indiana brings into each game now, we have a great chance of winning those matchups. 
being able to hold Jameer Young to one of seven from three-point range, that is always going to go a long way to beating this Maryland team right now. And the Hoosier perimeter was able to do enough to limit the damage that the Terps were able to do there. And yeah, of course, I'm going to bring up Jordan Geronimo. Jordan Geronimo just played in Assembly Hall again. And uh, man, it was a rough night for Jordan Geronimo. This was a rough night in his return to Bloomington. He went 0 for 5 for the night. Uh, He just couldn't get anything going. And again, I will say, I wish Jordan Geronimo all the best this season, except against my Hoosiers. So this game, after he had went 6-for-6 in the Terps' previous outing, was admittedly welcomed by myself. He looked, I mean, it wasn't the greatest when it zoomed in on him, and he looked like he was having a very rough time. Just handling it the best he could. I, I hope to God he has a great season. I hope he goes out and does well when they aren't playing the Hoosiers. The Hoosiers absolutely needed to start the Big Ten's regular season strong. And they did just that in this game. Following this one to start the day Saturday, Indiana found itself climbing the Ken Palm ladder, moving up to the 68th overall position, with the adjusted defense of this team soaring up from where it was to the 56th adjusted defense. And as far as Julian Reese being the preseason Big Ten like pick for forward, other than Zach Eady, the Hoosiers did exceptionally well at limiting the damage he was going to do to us in that game. Julian had gone 5 from 11 from the, ni- from the floor that game. This was just a really great performance that... Hoosier fans should be proud of, that Hoosier fans should be excited for, because uh, the team came out, they brought the effort, and that effort has can make up for so many lapses on the defensive end. It can make up for a lot in the game of basketball. If you have effort and you have defense, everything else will fall into place. The Hoosiers brought both of those today, and in doing so, secured the debut victory in the Big Ten. This was really just a game to get excited, because this this team isn't playing its best ball right now. That That's down the line. This team is finding its footing a little more each game. And uh, if we're already beating Big Ten opponents right now, I, I truly believe that that bodes well for what this team can do down the line, for where this team is heading. This team is far from the ceiling of its potential, but man, I'm excited that they are moving in the right direction, that they are moving to meet that ceiling of potential. Keep heading in the right direction. This, this Hoosiers team is doing just that. And uh, I'm just grateful. I'm just so grateful as a fan to see it. Just a great performance by the guys. And uh, with that... Let's get on to the good, the bad, and the downright ugly. The good in that game, Trey Galloway putting his best effort forward. Trey Galloway putting forth his best effort on the season. Just absolutely took his game to a level that we haven't seen this season. And with Xavier out, we needed every bit of it. His ability to distribute those six assists. Those went a long way in securing the Sucher victory. And he was a captain in every sense of the word that game. He really took it upon himself to ensure that this Hoosier team wasn't going to skip a beat just because Axe was out. Uh, Another good, Kalel just continuing to deliver game in and game out. Again, how was this guy's motor a question entering this season? How was this like what we thought was going to be the biggest question on the season? This kid delivers reliability. He is a reliable bucket. He is a defensive threat, and he's doing everything for us. His ability to drain the three just opens up the floor in a way that I have to imagine all of our rollover players are just not used to seeing, and I am just incredibly grateful that we went that we went out and got this guy in the offseason. And the last good, Indiana's effort on the defensive end and against the glass. Indiana brought the effort. If you have a baseline effort that you can rely on, that you can bring to each and every matchup, like the rest will fall, find its place. The rest will fall in line. And if we if we continue doing that, this team can build upon that, and it can be a really special, really long defense. That can give teams fits in this conference. As for the bad, we had Malik's foul trouble, uh, just limiting the massive impact that he can have over the course of a game. We, we need Malik on the floor for this Indiana team to be its best. 
And in order to keep him on the floor, he's going to have to tighten it up there. He's going to have to limit what he's doing, whether it's maybe just toning it back a little, not biting so much on bait. Whatever the case may be, Malik needs to be on the floor. Here's hoping that he can watch the tape in this one and learn. Another bad was Indiana's 16 turnovers on the day. Again, turnovers was the one of the few categories that Maryland beat us in. And 16 was just far too many for this. Thank God they weren't taking advantage of us. Um handing the ball over so much to the point where, I mean, their, their shooting made it impossible for them to take full advantage of it because they were just so off on the day. A team other than the Maryland squad right now may damage the Hoosiers if uh, given so many opportunities to do so. 16 turnovers, too many in this one. Tighten it up, boys, you got it. And lastly, the downright ugly of this game. The downright ugly for this game, I mean, that series of plays around the point in the game with the seven minutes left where just Indiana allowed Maryland to cut their gargantuan lead in half. That was downright ugly. Thank God Indiana, like, kind of se- cauterized the wound. They uh, stopped the bleeding and were able to make sure that this still remained a respectable, decisive victory in favor of the Hoosiers. They they really let a gargantuan lead slip away. Here's hoping next time, like, if, if ever in that case, again, the Hoosiers can say, hey, heal, meat, throat, step on the gas, and just bury a squad. With the good, the bad, and the downright ugly out of the way, let's get on to the show Walter Fish of the game for this one. The show Walter Fish of the game, duh. Duh. Of course it's Kalel Ware. Who else would it be? Uh, yeah, you could give it to Trey for uh, just, just bringing a determined aspect to his game that really fueled Indiana's distribution throughout this. He was making great passes. But, man, you have to give it to Kalel. 18 points from 8 for 12 from the field, sinking the one three-pointer he took, tacking on that a block, tacking on that the 14 rebounds he had over the course of the game. Kalel Ware consistently is bringing it. Whatever it is, Kalel Ware has got it. And I am so grateful that he is on this squad. I am so grateful to give him this uh, show Walter Fish of the game because he deserves it with Indiana's 65-53 to victory over Maryland in the books. Let's get on to some Indiana news for you. First on the Indiana news, welcome to the tribe, Kurt Signetti. Based on his resting coach face alone, I see big things in store for this program and just in time because this Big Ten is only going to get harder and even more loaded as the West Coast talent enter the fray. And as far as hiring Kurt Signetti as the new Indiana football head coach, Kurt Signetti isn't faking any humbleness as when addressing the Assembly Hall crowd during this game, he stated to rabid applause, Purdue sucks. And so does Michigan and Ohio State, too. And these comments came in the game after he had already went to the BTN Big Ten Championship set to claim that the Hoosiers will be playing in the game next season. That that being the Big Ten Championship football game. This guy is not faking any humbleness as he is kicking the doors in on the Big Ten and announcing his arrival. I love it. I love it. Go check out our Indiana football podcast, the LEO podcast. I imagine a name change to come here soon. Um, I mean, I'm sure. And uh, just just go check out what the guys had to say about the Signetti hire. It's a really great listen, their most recent episode. In Indiana men's soccer news, Indiana men's soccer had their NCAA run end as Notre Dame won in penalty kicks, knocking the Hoosiers out in the Elite Eight. Another Indiana run in the postseason of the college soccer championships and another loss in penalty kicks. It is the worst way for games to end. Indiana was really dictating the play in this game, but alas, Notre Dame was able to bury more of those PKs than us. Just it sucks to see it end here, but uh, credit to those guys for being able to get to the Elite Eight. This week, Jeff Rabjohn shared some of uh, Liam McNeely's latest as he tweeted, Indiana 2024 five-star signee Liam McNeely goes five for eight from three, 20 points, eight rebounds, two assists, two blocks for national number one Montverde, in an 89-61 crushing of national number three, Columbus, Florida. That Columbus, Florida team also having the talents of 
Jace Richardson and the Boozer Twins. That that five for eight from three, Indiana could desperately use that right now. That, but hey, we have time. We have patience. I love this team. I love where this Indiana Hoosiers team this year is getting. But man, that's exciting to have that on the horizon. In other recruiting news, Dylan Harper this week removed a bunch of pro Rutgers com- commitment posts before pinning his recruitment photos from both Indiana and Duke on his Instagram. And nobody should fall for Dylan Harper's troll pinning Indiana and Duke on his Instagram. They, they, you just can't fall for it right now, folks. I am pretty convinced that this is just a troll job because I think the Rutgers post went back up shortly thereafter. In my, in my opinion, I think this kid is a Scarlet Knight. I think he will be committing to Rutgers. But, I mean, if I was a top recruit, I probably would do the same. I would lead Purdue on so hard <laughs> before finalizing my commitment to Indiana. In a recent episode of the One Shining podcast with Tate Frazier, Tate Frazier had listed Indiana as one of his fallers, saying even though they won against Harvard, that was an ugly basketball game. They are a terrible shooting team. They have to figure out their lineup. Right now, they are basically play- playing three bigs. Mbako is going to have to come off the bench. So Indiana has more questions than answers right now. I believe that was a fair idea to have at one point, but Mbako is finding his footing here. He is finding a way to be able to contribute from the three to be able to be a net positive for that Indiana bottom line. And if he can continue to figure it out, I'm really, really excited for the potential output of McKenzie, Colel, and Malik all together. Last bit of Indiana news for you. The field for next year's Battle for Atlantis has been revealed, and the Hoosiers are going to be balling in the Bahamas next year. November 27th through 29th next year. It's a, it's a great field for this tournament as the field is made up of Arizona, Creighton, Davidson, Gonzaga, Louisville, Oklahoma, West Virginia, and us. So, hey, start booking those trips. <laughs> that would be awesome. I, I can't imagine my wife signs up for that, but, hey, let, let, we, can, we can always ask. We can always ask. With that bit of Indiana news in the books for you, let's get on to some of that national news, uh, just some national news and the results around the Big Ten. A story I just wanted to share was Sports Illustrated uh, creating two AI writers with AI images as their profile pictures in an attempt to replace the honest working big J's out there. It's just shameful. And they, I mean, they're trusting reporting to AI. So what's to say they didn't trust Sportsman of the Year to AI? I saw that Deion Sanders was given the Sportsman of the Year title in the latest episode of Sports Illustrated. And I I don't know who I would pick over that, but man, he's failed to deliver. (laughs) He brought a lot of excitement to that football program, but Sportsman of the Year, I don't know. In Big Ten ranking news, the Boilermakers moved into the number one AP spot on Monday, and in doing so became the first Big Ten team to have that spot in three consecutive seasons. And I thought that that was crazy. I thought that for sure there had to have been another team, another program at one point in time that was able to do that. But no, alas, Purdue is the only school to have gotten to number one in three consecutive seasons in the Big Ten. In Michigan State news, Tom Izzo weighed in on the hijinks of Michigan State of the Michigan State Board of Trustees after being part of the board chair search committee to replace the board's chair, Raina Vassar, who has vacated the position after MSU's accreditation has come under review due to the allegations made against her of bullying the president, Teresa Woodruff, victim-blaming texts in regards to the Mel Tucker debacle, refusing to allow lawyers access to her phone to see where the Tucker accuser's identity was leaked, releasing other confidential school documents, Utilizing a private jet to March Madness 2023 at risk of it possibly being a form of bribery. Violating the board's ethics policy after appearing in an ad for a former board member's wealth management firm. And threatening to publicly drag anyone who'd voted against her, calling them racist. Basically, at Michigan State, just a whole bunch of ethical violations by the major decision maker of the university. Izzo said in the press conference on Monday, Our board is, it's no secret, it's been crazy and a little bit embarrassing. 
But at the same time, I think when you go through something like that, everybody kind of figures out that, hey, we got to be doing what's best for the university. And I think that's where our board is at now. The news of this investigation has just made me realize that Quinn Buckner has a metric shit ton of say in what happens on campus and damn near more power than Witten herself, it seems. Like if it's anywhere in Calvert to what power that this board of trustees is able to exhort on Michigan State's campus, Quinn Buckner has plenty of power. <laughs> Following a big showing in Maui, Zach Eady was recognized as the AP Player of the Week. 25 points, 14 rebounds against Gonzaga. 23 points, 10 rebounds against Tennessee. And 28 points, 15 rebounds against Marquette. Earlier this week, John Howard announced that he would be joining the Michigan team following his heart surgery as an assistant coach. This announcement of him going to the sidelines to be an assistant coach for the Wolverines comes after just last week against Texas Tech when he was ejected as a bystander. According to the Detroit Free Press, Howard was tossed from Michigan's 73-57 loss to Texas Tech on November 24th in the battle for Atlantis. Just before halftime, after a discussion with the officials following a confusing sequence to go into the break, the Red Raiders were awarded an extra possession after an inadvertent whistle with four seconds remaining. Texas Tech didn't end up capitalizing, but Howard had some choice words for the officials, and then he was gone. I don't know how I feel about this just half measure. Either coach the team or don't. Either way, if, if this whole John Howard thing, like how much, yeah, he, he is the head coach of this team. He should take head coach responsibilities. Do these losses not count for his record? Is that what he's doing here? Is he pulling that old Coach K move? Either way, I mean, if, if this spells worry for Michigan, I'm on board. Getting into some of the results around the country, we saw upsets everywhere as Northwestern downed Purdue Friday night. And then Saturday, Wisconsin beat Marquette. Drexel beat Villanova. Georgia Tech beat Duke, following a Duke loss to Arkansas in the game prior. And then, possibly the most beautiful, was UNC Wilmington beating Kentucky in Rupp Arena. Th those huge upsets came after there were just several upsets riddled throughout the SEC and ACC Challenge. And in regards to all that, I just have to say I am severely underwhelmed by the lack of great teams in the country right now. And as is the case mo in most March Madness runs, just get to the tournament. Get to the tournament, and it's anybody's game at that point. This season truly looks up for grabs. And uh, here's hoping that the Hoosiers can keep progressing to be their best selves by March. Now, now let's get into some of the Big Ten results. Rutgers manhandled the St. Peter's Peacocks earlier this week, 71-40, to as Noah Fernandez and Clifford Omarui led the charge for the Scarlet Knights with 19 and 17 points, respectively. The Rutgers defense shut the Peacocks down as St. Peter's converted just 23% of their 56, 55 shots over the course of the game. They were able to come out with that victory before taking on the Illinois Fighting Illini this Saturday, where Illinois was able to beat the Scarlet Knights 76-58, to largely on the back of Terrence Shannon's 28-point double-double. Since our last time of recording, Wisconsin came out of the gate to blow a Western Illinois side away to the tune of a 71-49 to final score, where four Badgers, Crowell, Wall, Soar, and Hepburn, were able to hit double digits on the night. Connor Asijans... Second year jump has still been on pause, as in his 14 minutes here, he tallied six points going two for seven from the field. They then took on in-state rival number three Marquette and really put their best foot forward, getting off to a hot start, and after taking a 13-point lead into the half, they held on until the final whistle, upsetting the number three team in the country with the 75-64 victory. Max Klesmet led the Badgers with 21 points, all of which were scored in the first half. Tuesday, Michigan State whooped the hell out of Georgia Southern, 86-55, with Michigan State taking the ludicrous score of 38-11 into the half. Jaden Akins got the start over A.J. Hogard in this one, dropping 14 points in his 22 minutes of action, while Hogard, still reluctant to shoot the three, went 4-6 for six from the night, all within the three-point line. Earlier this week, Maryland beat Ryder 103-76, as Jordan Geronimo went a perfect 6-6 six for six from the floor for a season-high 15 points. Jameer Young and Julian Reese shouldered the bulk of Maryland's production in that game, 
as they each scored a season high 22 for themselves as well. And thank God Jordan got that out of his system. He, he is due for one of those performances every once in a while. And while, I, while I'm not going to cheer for him to just go over, I mean, against the Hoosiers, yeah, I'm going to cheer for everybody to go over. What am I, what am I talking about? I, I, I am just happy that he maybe didn't have this showing in the Indiana matchup. Ohio State faced off with Central Michigan Wednesday as the Buckeyes took care of business with an 88-61 victory. Bruce Thornton looked incredible going 9-for-14 from the field, 3-for-7 from 3, amassing a total of 25 points as the Buckeyes left little doubt in this game. The Buckeyes had a total of five players in double digits and have made it very clear this isn't a single player's highlight reel as it was in Sense Balls last season. Iowa had a typical night Wednesday of dropping 103 points on lesser competition as the Hawkeyes beat North Florida 103-78. The Hawkeyes shot an impressive 57% from beyond the arc, but they looked to take advantage on the inside as they only shot 14 threes over the course of the game compared to North Florida's 31 attempts from beyond. Thursday night, Minnesota's bench shined as they destroyed New Orleans 97-64. Forward Pharrell Payne had 17 points. Guard Mike Mitchell Jr. had 14. And freshman guard Cam Christie had 20 points, all coming off of the Golden Gopher bench. With five Gophers in total finding double-digit production here, Northwestern was able to win a battle between Illinois non-conference opponents as the Wildcats beat Northern Illinois 89-67 earlier this week. Boo Booey dropping 16 of his 23 points in the second half to seemingly will Northwestern to the decisive victory following them heading into the half down one to the Huskies. Early this Saturday, the Penn State Nitt- Nittany Lions took on the Bucknell Bison, where the Bison were able to beat Penn State 76-67, to as they shot very well from the three, converting 10 of their 21 takes. Bucknell was able to exploit Penn State's defense, as they shot 58% on the day. On the Penn State side, Cutis A. Wahab led the Penn State scoring with 18 points. Now, on to Purdue, as we usually hold for last year on the Often Daunted podcast. On Tuesday, Braden Smith was one rebound away from a triple-double as the Boilermakers trounced the now 0-7 Texas Southern team 99-67 in a game that didn't even feel that close. While nearly grabbing that trippy D, Braden Smith was also able to lead the Boilermakers in points with 19. 19 points, 10 assists, and 9 rebounds all in just 25 minutes. Damn impressive outing from who is destined to become my personal most hated Boilermaker of all time at this rate. My animosity for Braden will inevitably grow as his value does to Purdue. And boy, I am really hoping we are seeing a ceiling for this guy. Because with so much time left in a Purdue uniform, I don't think I can take him finding any more in his game. Following that just piss-poor opponent, the Wildcats were able to show the nation that this Boilermaker team is, in fact, mortal. The Wildcats were able to defend their home court, taking the 92-88 victory in overtime. Even in defeat, Zach Eady was doing it all for the Boilermakers on his way to 35 points and 14 rebounds. But it was Boo Booey leading the Wildcats to victory as he dropped 31 points and a very, very impressive nine assists along with four boards. Ryan Langborg also added to the Wildcats' production as he had 20 points in this game, including going four for five from three. And again, like I, like I brought up earlier in these uh, in the national news, just credit to Purdue for being able to be the first Big Ten team to reach number one in three consecutive seasons, which is genuinely crazy. But every time Purdue has been ranked number one in the past three years, they've had a letdown performance. In 2021, it was the upset against Rutgers. In 2022, it was another upset against Rutgers. And in 2023, it was this upset against Northwestern. <clears throat> they get ranked number one, and then they lose. They're a great team, and I, maybe maybe they'll be better for this loss, but that just has to be painful. See, my, my brother is a senior at Purdue right now, and I remember being on campus as a student during Indiana's time at number one with Oladipo and Cody Zeller. And I'll tell you, as sweet as it is being number one, which is it, it is undoubtedly the absolute best, it is so stressful to watch those games, though, knowing there's nowhere to go but down. 
and knowing that each team is going to be giving you a level of effort most teams do not have to face on a game-to-game basis. So wherever they are ranked next week, this this loss could have gone a long way in having this Purdue team develop an even larger chip on their shoulder. Now, in regards to how I think one way or the other about this Purdue team, they have to win in the tournament. And I mean, I, I have a feeling most Big Ten basketball-watching fans probably feel the same way in regards to it. So... <laughs> Only time will tell if this isn't the same old Purdue. I think they have more help on the... I think they have more depth than previous Purdue teams have, but until they can show it off in March, more the same with the Purdue Boilermakers, it seems. Which, hey, is undoubtedly good basketball. They are a great team right now. I would be so stoked to win the Maui Invitational. (laughs) But yeah, just a brutal upset after becoming number one in the country. With all of the latest Big Ten results done and out of the way, let's get on to that Michigan preview. But before that, I just wanted to give a little word from my partners. The Often Daunted Podcast is brought to you in partnership with Big Banter Sports. Big Banter Sports, just a network of podcasts for both Big Ten football and basketball. We have a podcast from each college in the Big Ten, and it's been really fun getting to work with these guys. If you haven't followed them on socials, it's everywhere at Big Banter Sports. If you haven't followed me, again, Often Daunted, everywhere at Often Daunted. I truly appreciate it. I truly appreciate you giving me the listen. This has been just a labor of love, and uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I really enjoy seeing the show grow. So thank you very much at Often Daunted. Thanks. All right, we're going to get into a Michigan preview for you um, before we get into a Hoosier history hit and then get you on out of here. So without further ado, let's discuss these Wolverines we have coming up. Tuesday, 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, meaning it's going to be a late recording for yours truly. But nonetheless, I will persevere and have this episode ready for you the next day. It's the debut of Indiana basketball on Peacock. And again, they found the one surefire way to get me. I loved The Office. I, I loved The Office. But I know I would loathe whatever Frankenstein of that show NBC would try to roll out in this reboot. The only possible way was to secure games like Indiana at Michigan for me to be coaxed into Peacock. And they absolutely have my money now. Congrats, NBC. You beat me. Michigan came into the season. (laughs) Yeah, let's talk about Michigan. Michigan came into the season expected for a drastic fall off following the departure of Jet Howard and Kobe Bufkin to the NBA, and following Hunter Dickinson searching for any conference to get the hell out of the brutal nature of post-play in the Big Ten. But alas... Michigan hasn't missed a beat, and on the contrary, look to be a more reliable unit with the freer, flowing nature of their offense. After starting the season hot and being considered a quick favorite to contend for a bye by the reactionary out there, like myself, following their first three games, beating both UNC Asheville and Youngstown State by at least 25 points, then following that up with a 16-point victory over the once-overhyped St. John's, Michigan has come back down to earth a bit, as their defense has been brought into question following their losses to Texas Tech, Memphis, and most glaringly, Long Beach State, prior to them dropping the game Saturday against Oregon. Prior to that game at Oregon, the Wolverines had found themselves ranked number 54 on Kempom with an adjusted offense at 27 and an adjusted defense at 102. But in that Oregon game, before discussing this game, I'm going to need the Big Ten to band together and outlaw Oregon's bananas court floors. They are terrible, and it genuinely bothered me most of the game. The Oregon Ducks went into this game with both of their 7-foot centers out with injuries that require some serious time off the floor. I have to imagine they feel they could desperately use Kalel Ware's talents right now. Watching Michigan take on the Ducks, I was genuinely getting excited about the potential of playing them because I am genuinely looking forward to see what Malik Renu and Kalel Ware may be able to do playing some buddy ball against Michigan's frontcourt defense. Throughout the first half, the Wolverines went 4 for 14 from 3, well below their season average in that regard. And that was a large reason that... uh, Heading into that halftime break, Oregon had the three-point lead on Michigan. In that time, the Ducks were able to work the ball inside fairly consistently despite their lack of size on the interior. And just watching it, watching the entirety of that game, Michigan's interior defense left a lot to be desired. Of course, Doug McDaniel 
just went off. Doug McDaniel came out of the break in a big way, going four for four from three in the first five minutes of the second half. He, he did so while exhibiting just some unreal in-the-gym range. The game continued close and was a true back-and-forth battle before ending in just a crazy fashion. Doug McDaniel displayed in full force his clutch gene. As with just under a minute, he hit a spot-up go-ahead three-pointer, taking the 72-71 to lead with 45.9 seconds left on the clock following an Oregon timeout. Following that, with Oregon missing two opportunities at the rim, Michigan was able to secure the ball with 31 seconds left, following a quick foul on Nakumwa, who missed the front end of the bonus. And all of this left the Ducks the ball with 22 seconds left down by one. Nakumwa immediately made up for his initial miss by stealing the ball from the inbound and knocking down the first of his free throws following a quick foul. After moving quickly down the court, Oquindo for Oregon was sent to the line for two, where he knocked both of them down to make the game all square at 73, with 15.1 seconds left on the clock. Quickly into the inbound, Doug McDaniel had the ball poked, and the resulting possession was under review for quite a long time as the refs were determining whether that ball had went off McDaniel's leg before tumbling out of bounds. And after quite the, after quite the delineation... It seems it was Oregon's ball with 9.5 seconds left. Following a failed turnaround jumper for the Ducks, Michigan was unable to handle the rebound as the ball yet again went out of bounds off them. The wide-open mid-range baseline shot from the inbound was missed, and this one was headed to OT. In overtime, the Ducks did exceptionally well to make sure that it wasn't going to be Doug McDaniel that was the reason Michigan won that game. That is why it took the likes of Will Cheddar hitting a huge three with one minute left to tie this one at 81. But when it was all said and done, it was Oregon's hometown hero, Jackson Shellstad, who put the nail in the coffin, hitting a deep, deep three to take the three-point lead with 1.5 seconds left in this game. Receiving the inbound, Doug McDaniel was unable to make the full-court heave to send it to double OT, and Oregon got the 86-83 victory. In this game, Doug McDaniel ended his night with a career high in three-pointers made, and uh, 33 points, also a career high. Seven for 12 from three, he was lights out in the second half. Olivier Nakoma, another source of reliability for the Wolverines, seemingly struggled in this game offensively, going four for 12 and one for six from deep. And throughout the start of this season, Michigan has been a perfect embodiment of a shots got a fall team. 46.2% behind the arc against UNC Asheville, 35% against Youngstown, 42 against St. John's, and 44 against Sanford in their victories. While in their defeats, 32% against Long Beach State, 33% against Memphis, and 30% against Texas Tech in their losses. Michigan gets shots up and gets them up at a pretty great clip as a unit. It will take a heroic effort by the Indiana Hoosier perimeter defense to work to hold back the onslaught of shooting Michigan will be looking to bring into this one. And he's the name on everybody's lips right now in regards to the Michigan Wolverines. Sophomore Doug McDaniel has been leading the production for the Wolverines from the point guard position. With 18.4 points per game before his 33-point outing, we'll inevitably bring that up a bit, and 5.6 assists per game prior to the Oregon game. He's been incredible to start the year. And I've said it before on the Roundtable podcast, the Big Ten Huddle, here on the uh, Big Banter Sports Network, but he, he's just a great prototype of point guard to possess in the college game. An absolute bucket at a listed five foot eleven, which I think is just a gross charitable act on behalf of those covering for him. There's no way that five foot eleven is his true height, but but having him be a short king like he is just means Michigan should be able to reap the rewards here for another three seasons in Ann Arbor. X, if he's good to go in this game, Trey and Gabe are going to have their hands full trying to guard this guy from getting his in this one. Also. This game will be a true test for Gabe Cups if X is out, because Doug McDaniel has some of the quickest hands out there when trying to poke a ball free from a primary ball handler. After Gabe had only given up two turnovers in this game, I do have confidence in his ability to protect the ball to make the most of Indiana possessions, but Doug McDaniel isn't going to make it easy on him. He is a quick defender. Doug McDaniel is going to get some points, but you have to put a cap on it if you want to be able to beat this Wolverine team. The second largest threat from the Michigan Wolverines this season has been six foot nine inch 
235-pound transfer forward Olivier Nakumwa. And Olivier has joined Michigan after being a grad transfer from a Tennessee team that won the SEC last season. Coming onto Ann Arbor's campus with a ton of experience, having started 58 games for the Volunteers, Olivier has quickly assumed a leadership role for the Wolverines. He is currently averaging 17.6 points per game before factoring in that low-volume outing against Oregon. He has been converting pretty great from beyond the arc, and the Indiana defense will need to bring an effort on the defensive end similar to that Maryland game if they want to slow him down. Nakumwa and his 41% three-point shooting right now, even though factoring in his 16% against Oregon would bring that down a bit. It is very respectable. Another ba- another Wolverine who could who could like gut the Hoosiers from three. And the th- third Wolverine I am worried about is Namari Burnett, just, just for the sheer potential of his shooting alone. He's currently shooting 37% from three, and he is absolutely able to take a game over for Michigan should he be able to go unchecked from deep. I know I brought it up before, but again, heading into this game, the Wolverines have just a pretty odd head coaching debacle right now. I mean, maybe coaches are like QBs in football, where if you've got two, you don't really have one. I just think that unless Juwan is ready to head up the team, his sideline antics from an assistant coach position, like they could just lead to an unneeded distraction in the Wolverines locker room. Getting kicked out of games can't bode well for him wanting to be able to provide the Wolverines whatever he can at this point. Phil Martelli had these guys coming out of the gate strong to start the season, and in no small part due to the 24 years of head coaching experience he got at St. John's. It'll be interesting to see if any changes are made by Tuesday in regards to who is the head coach of Michigan. But man, I love upsetting Juwan Howard on the sideline of any game. So here's here's hoping that the Hoosiers can really give him frustrations in this. The Wolverines are currently sitting at 500 with a 4-4 four and four record on the season, and this will be their first Big Ten game of the season. No wins are easy while playing away in the Big Ten, and this game will be no different for the Indiana Hoosiers when rolling into the Chrysler Center. This will be a fan base wanting revenge on an Indiana team that won both matchups last season. With the catalyst for those wins, Trace Jackson Davis, now gone, the Wolverine faithful probably expect victory at home. But they, as most of the country, are not truly aware of the talent that still lies dormant in this Indiana team. A talent that is starting to show itself more and more. I have confidence in the Indiana Hoosiers to keep this enthusiastic effort rolling, and I'm hoping to see the Hoosiers be able to steal one at Michigan here. I expect Michigan to look to play quickly and tire the Hoosiers on the outside, but if Indiana can successfully get the ball inside, the offensive output of our two phenomenal sophomore big men could be too much for the Wolverines at the end of the day. I would believe that the Michigan backcourt will be looking to allow our backcourt to take shots in order to sure up the interior, but this Indiana team's ability to shoot in the frontcourt could be enough to spread the floor in a big way and allow Indiana's offense the space necessary to drive inside on the Wolverines. Either way, it's a big 10 away game. So the Hoosiers are in a tough one for sure. I believe they can get the job done and keep the Indiana win streak against Michigan rolling. With that preview in the books, we are going to get you on out of here with a Hoosier history hit. This is your Hoosier history hit. For your Hoosier history hit today, I'm going to be talking about the Smilodon Fatalis. The Smilodon Fatalis is mostly associated with its common name, the saber-toothed cat, and the Smilodon Fatalis was about as long as the modern African lion. Unlike lions, it had short, powerful legs, a short tail, and a heavy muscular build. Whereas modern cats are typically built for speed and agility, Smilodon was built for strength and power. And I mean, you just look at this thing's skeleton, it looks like a brick shithouse. <laughs> and of course, they are most known for their drastic, drastically enlarged upper canines, which could range from 7 to 10 inches. As for why this, why I'm just bringing up this little uh, prehistoric animal on the Hoosier history hit, while many apex carnivores from the days of old are rare in the Midwest, there have been Smilodon fatalis bones discovered in the Harrodsburg Fisher within Monroe County. 
So yeah, I just I just wanted to use this uh, Hoosier history hit to share the fact that yeah, there were saber tooth cats rolling the southern Indiana hills before we showed up and started playing basketball. Just keeping it short, short and dumb. That's usually the nature of your Hoosier history hit. With that in the books, another game, another episode of the Often Daunted podcast. I appreciate you giving me the listen so much. I appreciate you for uh, having the patience. Um, I was going to put this out the night of the game, like so it was ready the morning after. But I had watched this game in Toledo, Ohio, while on a scouting mission checking out wedding bands, like actual music bands, not wedding rings, for my sister's upcoming wedding. And uh, yeah, while, while, while listening to that band perform in Toledo, I was uh, watching this game at the bar. And I really wanted to be able to dig into it a little more than I was able to at that time, just to be able to bring more to the show. So I do appreciate you uh, giving this a listen even two days after the game. Thank you so much for the listen. And I will be back here with another episode of the Often Daunted podcast released the day after the Michigan Wolverine game. So that will be releasing Wednesday. With that one, I'll also have a preview of the Auburn game. So come on back to the Often Daunted podcast. I genuinely hope you and yours have a great time until you hear from me again Wednesday. Have a great week, Hoosier fans. God bless you and your family. A win to kick off the Big Ten season is so appreciated from this Hoosier fan. And I have to imagine it is for you as well. God bless you and yours. Take it easy, Hoosier fans. Lux at Veritas. 